Usually I start with you know, a semi-related illustration, but I think this morning I want to take some extra time to, to just talk about the illustration that Paul uses in today's passage. The, the main illustration in our passage is about an olive tree that has other branches grafted in, and you and I are kind of like those grafted in branches. So I, I just want to describe that illustration a little bit more so it makes sense when we get there. In Paul's day, uh, this certainly wasn't something Paul made up. I think Paul's audience would have been familiar with fruit trees being grafted. I bounced around the internet a little bit this week um, to find some pictures. Here's what Paul will be talking about when he talks about the wild olive branches being grafted in to another tree. Apparently, this is something that's still done today, and apparently you can take like young shoots off of, let's say you have one variety of tree that really puts on fruit well, olives, apples, whatever. But it doesn't grow that fast as far as the tree itself. So here's what you can do. You can take the young shoots off of that fruit-bearing tree, and you can kind of shave the ends of them off. And there's, there's several different ways to do this, I learned, but here's one. And you can shove them in a little slit in another tree that maybe doesn't put on fruit very good, but as a tree, it grows fast, grows strong. And in the end, so you see here's a picture of grafted in. It did look like this. Now they're, they're growing together. And in the end, what you will have is those young shoots, they will put on fruit like their old tree, but they will grow like the new tree. And so here's an actual olive tree, like this old stump still has all of the root system it ever had, and it can grab nutrients from all that much soil. But here's the grafted in part, and it, it, all it does is feed those, those new shoots that have been grafted in. That's pretty cool. That's what Paul's going to be talking about today um, when he offers an illustration of people like us being grafted in to a saving faith in Christ. Now, why do we get grafted in? To bear fruit for, our, for the master gardener, the orchard tender who is our God. Now, to set the context for this passage and where this comes from, Paul has just said something that seems really mean to our ears. I glossed over it a little bit last week, didn't spend much time on it because I knew this week was coming. But Paul just said that all of Israel is made up of two kinds of Israelite. There's always a faithful remnant. God is going to preserve for himself some descendants of Israel who will believe in a way where they are justified by faith. And we know this side of the cross, that's only through Jesus Christ. So Israel is made up of a small remnant of people of Israeli descent who believe in Jesus and the rest who are just as Israelite as those folks but they don't believe. 
And, and Paul just told us that God hardened these people in their unbelief. Like God hardened national Israel to like make sure in mass they don't believe in Jesus Christ. And that seems like a really mean and awful thing for a good God to do. Today, Paul's going to answer the, the, the obvious questions. The first one is, well, is that permanent for Israel? And the second is, why would God harden the hearts of his own people? That's what we want to answer today. That's where we're going. Let's read our passage together. This is, we're in Romans chapter 11, and we're going to read and study verses 11 through 22. So Romans 11, 11 reads this way. I say then, they, that's Israel, Israel did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Now, if their transgression means riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry if somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Verse 16. If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in, among those branches and became a partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. But if you are arrogant, remember, it's not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and the severity of God to those who fell severity, but to you God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Okay. What have we here? First, there's this passage. Paul kind of mentions some things, some, some different things, several different times. So we won't always go one verse at a time through this one. We'll group some of that stuff uh, together so we only deal with it once. That's just a heads up as we go through. But Paul starts in verse 11 by basically asking this question. So are you saying, Paul, that Israel is completely ruined? Paul has just said, Israel has rejected Christ. God has hardened Israel, most of Israel, the bulk of Israel in that unbelief. So Paul says, so does that mean God's just 
done with them? We should know the answer to that question. He's answered it about 50 times in these three chapters. Is God, uh, have they stumbled to the point where they fell all the way down and, and God is done with Israel? Answer is absolutely not. And then in the second half of verse 11, Paul is going to tell us two reasons why God did that thing that seems so mean. Why did God harden the hearts of his people Israel in their unbelief? Second part of verse 11 reads this way. But by their transgression, that's rejecting Jesus. That's their transgression, their mistake. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. And that will make Israel jealous. So Israel rejects Jesus. And somehow, Paul says, that will bring salvation to us non-Israelite people, Gentiles. And somehow, salvation coming to us Gentiles is going to make Israel jealous. Right here, by the way, Paul gives us a brief preview of the rest of world history from Jesus' day until Jesus returns. Right here. You want to know that God's plan for world history from the day of Christ until the day of Christ's return? Right here. First, Israel rejected Christ. That was their transgression. Then, God, God has a plan to save his people. But when they rejected Christ, it's like God hit the pause button on his plans with Israel. And then he turned salvation toward the Gentiles. God is saving, even still right now, bucketfuls of us Gentiles. And then someday that will make Israel jealous and Israel will turn to faith in Christ and be saved. And then it's the end. That's an outline of world history right there. Now, verse 12, Paul asks a question in verse 12. Ignore that for now. We're going to cover that in a second. But first, Paul says in verse 12 that Israel's rejection of, of Jesus, Paul calls it their transgression and their defeat, means riches for the Gentile world. What's that, what's that mean? How did that work? How did Israel deciding to reject Jesus lead to riches for the rest of the world. Here's how. If you've read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of Jesus' life on earth, there, there's a period in the Gospels where Jesus, when he starts his ministry, he says, uh, basically, the king's here. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he recruits 12 disciples and he sends them out to tell some people that the king is here. Who did Jesus send his disciples to tell that message to first? Do you remember? Only Israel. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sent out these 12 disciples, instructing them like this. Do not go to Gentile regions. Do not enter any Samaritan town. Go instead only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the first people to get invited into the kingdom under the King Jesus was only Israel, only the, the Jews. 
In Paul's ministry, Paul was sent to tell the gospel to the Jew first. And that was his pattern most places. And in that way, here's what happened. Israel, they got a real offer of faith in Christ. And it was only after they rejected that offer that God hits the pause button in his dealings with Israel and he turns his attention to saving bucket for bucketfuls of us filthy, filthy Gentiles to the ends of the earth. And don't miss, don't miss what Paul says the offer of the gospel to us is. That's it, riches for us. Riches for us. I know it can seem like an invitation to accept the gospel to follow Jesus. I know it can seem like that sounds like such a drag. Like following Jesus is going to make me all churchy and all boring and I won't have any fun. That's not the offer. The offer is riches. A full life, an abundant life today with real hope and riches one day. Paul told us earlier in this book, accepting the gospel makes us a co-heir with Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, you've been written in to the will You've been, you, you get to share in the inheritance that Jesus will inherit from his father, which is everything. That is riches. So was God being, was God being mean when he hardened Israel's heart? No. He was being gracious toward the rest of the world. Israel, you had your chance I'm going to hit the pause button and leave you sort of frozen, even though individual Jews are more than welcome to believe in Christ and be saved. But God hit the pause button on them so that he could open the kingdom to us. Now, about that question Paul asks. He asks the same question twice today. Once in verse 12, once in verse 15. The question basically is this. If God was doing something awesome for the rest of the world by hardening the hearts of Israel, imagine how awesome it's going to be for the world when God actually saves Israel. Or we could word it this way. If you think that God hitting the pause button on Israel to save the rest of the world, if you think that was good for the world, and it was, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. If God was doing something good for the world by doing something negative toward Israel, wait till he starts doing something positive for Israel. It's going to be even better. Does that question make sense? Now here is the logical question in response to that question. What could be better for the world than what God has been doing since he hit the pause button on Israel? What could be better for the world than God Proclaiming the gospel and saving Gentiles and restoring Gentiles to him. Well, there's something coming that's going to be even better.
During the day when God says, okay, I'm going to force Israel's hand. I'm going to make them believe in Jesus. They're going to get jealous. They're going to want what we Gentiles have in a relationship with God through Christ. They're going to believe in Jesus during that time. That's only going to happen when Jesus comes back. And Paul says, that's going to be even better than what God's been doing for the last 2,000 years in saving Gentiles like us. Do you ever get sick of the way the nations of our world are run? Do you ever get sick of politics, the preening and the pruning and the lying? Do you ever get sick of the constant accusations and counter-accusations? I do. I want to tell you something. A good king is coming. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul says, is it great what God's been doing with us Gentiles since Israel rejected Jesus? Absolutely. But Paul says, just wait till the king comes back and saves his people and he's going to have a heart of gold and a rod of iron. Somehow, when Jesus returns and takes control of this earth, it's going to be even better for the world than saving us. That's what Paul says there. Now, one more thing I want to mention that Paul has said a couple of times in these verses. He keeps talking about making Israel jealous. I want to make them jealous. I want to move them to jealousy. What's that about? Well, here's what that's about. Um, Paul was handpicked by Jesus to be his apostle to the Gentiles. That was Paul's job. He was aware of that. But Paul says, even though I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, but I want to magnify my ministry, which just means I want, to, I want my ministry to, to grow so big that some of my fellow Jews get saved too. Paul understands, even though national Israel in mass is not going to repent under Paul's ministry and believe in Jesus, but he knows some on a small scale, Christians can make Israel want what we've got with their God. And he's our God too. You know, this is supposed to be the Christian heart toward the Jews. The Jews should look at the relationship we have with their God and be provoked to a godly kind of jealousy. Like, I want that. That's supposed to be me with God. But sadly, to the shame of the church, that is not the relationship that the church has had with the Jews for the last 2,000 years. Uh, the late Warren Wiersbe used to say, uh, the church in general, doesn't provoke Jews to jealousy. It just provokes the Jews, period. And I, get on, I don't have Facebook personally, but get on Facebook and read some stuff about what people who call themselves Christians say about Jews. 
It's not Paul's heart. It is still these evil cabals that is run by the Jews and all of this. It's garbage and it needs to be repudiated by the church. That's why our church has supported and does support ministries that specifically target Jews with the gospel. Because our heart should be Paul's heart, which is we want to see Jews come to know their Messiah as their Savior. Now, finally, we get to the olive tree. It's a tough passage, and there's a lot in here. The rest of our passage, verses 16 through 22, finds its main idea right here. Don't be arrogant toward the branches. Do not boast over the branches. Everything Paul says for the rest of our time together is about this. You, Gentile, don't boast over the branches. Now that takes some explaining. So here we go. Paul is going to introduce a metaphor of this olive tree that has other trees grafted in, other branches grafted in. I do not know why that's there. First, we'll just do it this way. First, though, Paul, he mixes his metaphors. Paul says, if the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is holy. Also, Paul's alluding to an Old Testament offering that just says, the first thing you take to the Lord, you present to the Lord, and it's sanctified, but you're symbolizing that everything you have is God's. Okay? If the first bit of the offering God accepts, he accepts everything he allows you to keep also. And then Paul moves on to this, this tree thing. If the root is holy, the branches are too. Here's the metaphor. Here's our olive tree. Um, the root of the tree. Well, the tree itself, first of all, the tree's not Israel, I don't believe. The tree is justification faith, saving faith. In Romans chapter 4, Paul said, we are all saved like Abraham was saved. Abraham was saved by, one more time, Abraham was saved by, by faith. God showed up to some guy that didn't believe in him named Abram. He changed his name later to Abraham and said, hey, basically, he said, I promise to send a savior to, to bless all the families of the earth. I pick your family. Abraham believed God and that faith was credited to Abraham as if it was a lifetime of goodness. He was saved by faith. This tree, if you're in this tree, you're justified by faith in Abraham's God. The root of this tree then is, is Abraham. Promises God made with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob for eons, okay, for eons, everyone, almost everyone connected to this tree was an Israelite person. But a funny thing started happening pretty quickly. Not all the Israelites ever believed, or there was never a time when all of the Israelites believed. So somebody, maybe their parents believed, and somebody walked. And Paul says, that's when a branch was broken off. 
Maybe their family, their clan was connected to salvation by faith. Somebody left and then their children didn't hear and their children didn't hear and their children didn't. And that branch just gets broken off because it's not connected to faith. By Paul's day, that's where most of the Jews are. They're not connected to faith in Christ alone. They're still Israel, but they're stacked up like kindling. Their branches are broken off. God hit the pause button on Israel, and then he started taking wild branches like us and grafting them in to this tree. So that all of a sudden, this branch right here, like the gospel makes it to the Korean Peninsula. I don't know when, but someday it did. And there's like this Korean branch in this tree that starts growing out and all these different families branch off of it and start bearing fruit. In this case, olives for God. And then there's, a, there's an Arabic branch. It starts out as a little shoot and it grows and grows. And some people, they might leave and that part of their branch gets, gets dropped off. But, so there's Arab Christians. They're still Arabs, but they're grafted into faith like Abraham's. And there's an American branch. As the gospel came to America, or maybe, maybe we should still be a German branch and an Irish branch and a whatever else branch, but you get the idea. There's an American branch, and then there's a Nebraska shoot off that branch, and there's an imperial uh, shoot off that branch, and here we are. And, and you and I are like olives on that branch, grafted in to salvation by faith. Does that make sense? Okay, that's the, that's the metaphor. But the point of the metaphor is so that Paul can say this, don't boast over those branches. Because here's what happens. Here's what happens in the hearts of people who know God through faith in Jesus Christ. Before long, we have a tendency to get a little bit arrogant. To look around and say things like this. Man, other branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. I God really knew what he was doing when he picked me. I must have been really something if God would break off all these Jewish branches but put me in there. And the rest of this passage is, because this whole section is about what's God doing with Israel. And, and Paul's saying over and over, God's going to save Israel, but you, church, listen don't be arrogant toward unbelieving Jews. That's what he's saying. In the rest of this passage, he gives us three reasons why you and I should not be arrogant toward unbelieving Jews, and I think toward any other kind of unbeliever also, but in this case, especially toward the Jews. Reason one, don't boast over the branches. And he says, if you do get a little bit arrogant, here's what you do. Remind yourself, remember, it's not you who supports the root. The root supports you. Here's one thing that will keep us from having bad attitudes toward the Jews. If we're Christians. This is a very Jewish tree we've been grafted into. Okay? This is not Israel. Because there's some Israel that's not connected. There's some Israel that is connected. But it's a very Jewish tree. The roots are Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
And for eons, it was almost entirely Israelites who believed. What nourishes us are these scriptures. Who wrote this stuff? God inspired Israelite people. Every book in this Bible, with the probable exception of two, were written by Israelites. It's a very Israeli faith. Luke that wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, he's probably a Gentile physician. But I can't be even positive about that one. Okay, it's not us that's holding them up. It's like their tradition's holding us up. Our Savior, Jesus, was very definitely a Jew. We owe the Jews, not the other way around. Second reason why we shouldn't boast over the branches. Um, 20. They were broken off for their unbelief. You stand by your faith. This is applicable to anyone, not just Jews. Anytime I'm, I want to look around and feel better about myself because of maybe the decisions I have made since I've become a Christian or, um, you know, my, the sins I don't sin anymore, whatever it is, Paul says, remind yourself, the people who are broken off, they're broken off for unbelief and you stand by faith. Here's why, that, here's why that's important to remember. The only difference between you, if you are still in this tree, and someone who's not, is what you believe about what Jesus did. You are not grafted into this tree because you are so awesome. You are grafted into this tree because Jesus is awesome. And so when I feel pride about how my lifestyle or my morality or my self-discipline or whatever is, is better, Paul says, well, remember, you're only better because of what Jesus did and your belief in that and the decision you made about Jesus. And now he is nourishing you through the scriptures, through the church. Any improvement you have is still due to faith in Christ. Don't boast over the branches. Remember, you're connected by faith. And then Paul says one more reason not to, to boast over the branches. And this one seems really scary. So I want to zoom in on it. In the second part of verse 20 and in verse 21, Paul says this. Don't be arrogant. Don't boast over the branches. But fear what should I be afraid of? Well, if God did not spare the natural branches, perhaps he will not spare you. That's one of those little passages that can be a lot more terrifying than it's supposed to be. First, I want to tell you what Paul's not saying. Paul is not saying, if you get arrogant... If you think more highly than, of yourself than you ought to, God will get the hedge clippers out and he will cut you out of his tree if you get too uppity. It's not what he's saying. Paul's not saying you should still be scared of going to hell even if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That's not what Paul's saying. Why? Because Paul hasn't changed his mind. Paul spent 
a huge portion of this book explaining the gospel, the only way we are going to be deemed righteous by God is if we believe in Jesus Christ. And when we get to that point, Paul said this, therefore, after he's explained the gospel, therefore, since we have been declared righteous already by faith, we have peace with God already. We have peace with God because we've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of God's glory. We don't have to be scared about what it's going to be like when we stand before God. If we believed in Jesus, that's our hope. We can't wait to stand before God. Paul hasn't changed his mind. So what's he saying? He is telling us to be scared of something. What are we supposed to be scared of? And how does this keep us from boasting over unbelievers and especially Jewish unbelievers? There was a time where every one of these branches that I've hypothetically piled up on the floor here, these Jewish branches were connected to this tree. I don't think these are individual people that were connected to a tree and got cut off. Here's how I think we should think about this metaphor. At one point, out of, let's say, the, uh, the Jewish tribe of Benjamin, that's Paul's tribe. At one point, there was a family that decided, I just don't go in for all that stuff anymore. Or there was a person that decided that. And that person has a family. And, and so their family doesn't go, go in for all that God stuff anymore. And you, you go forward a couple generations and there's nobody left who's attached to salvation by faith. Paul says, you got yourself a branch on the ground. It used to be connected. It's not anymore. And Paul says, don't be arrogant, O Christian, about where you're at. Because don't think that can't happen to you. I don't think Paul wants you to be scared that someday you are going to be in hell if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. But here's what Paul, here's what Paul is saying. You better nourish your connection to the root because you are not your only concern. You shouldn't be your only concern. If your thoughts about your eternal life are only, hey, I'm saved, so what do I care about him? What do I have to worry about? You're walking a very dangerous line. And this happens all over the world all the time. <coughs> Could we take a field trip and go find a church somewhere in America that is a huge, beautiful church that we would walk around in and go, wow, this is breathtaking. This must have taken, taken a bazillion dollars to build this thing, and nobody goes there. Could we find some of those? Yes. You know what that is? That is a branch that is no longer connected to the root. You want to do families next? This is why Paul says, be scared. Folks, if you believe in Jesus... I'm not concerned about your eternity. Jesus won your eternity. You are an olive that is going to be part of the harvest. 
but you can't say that your great-grandkids will be. You can't say your grandkids will be. You might not be able to say your kids will be. Paul says, if, if God will allow Israel to walk and become disconnected branches, can that happen to my family? Can that happen to this church? Absolutely. God has promised to build his church, and he will. But he is under no obligation to do it here. And he is under no obligation to do it in my family. We have a responsibility to stay tapped in to the root. That's why Paul finishes this way. Behold, notice, pay attention to the kindness and the severity of God. To those who fell, God is severe. Hell is real. But to you who are attached, God's kindness. But Paul says, continue in his kindness. Otherwise, y'all's branch can be cut off just like theirs was. Don't boast in your position on the tree. Nourish your connection to it. That is why we, that's why I encourage you, read, read your Bible, spend time in prayer, get with somebody else to, to, uh, that's doing Bible study that, in a mentoring relationship, whatever it is. Why? Because God won't like you. If you haven't said you had your quiet time yet today, God doesn't like you. No! God's kindness to you has been guaranteed at the cross. But your connection to Him has results in your life, in your children's lives, in, their, in your grandchildren's lives, in your church's life. Paul said, this, like, this isn't a game, this is real. God is a God of great kindness and great love. but he only forgives those who are tapped into the root of salvation by faith. And a big step away from the importance of that is just when I get smug and I get comfortable and I think maybe I'm saved because of who I am and not because of what he has done for me. When I stop understanding, I need that kindness, that forgiveness, and that savior. I've probably taken a step in a scary direction. Church, I don't fret over your eternal condition if you believe in Jesus. But if you go forward two generations from now, what do you want those great grandkids of yours to believe? What do we want this church to look like. We can't just hope those folks then make right decisions. 
We have to nourish our connection to Christ. Don't, don't just drift. Don't just float. Nobody ever drifts or floats in the right direction. We've got to be intentional. We've got to be intentional. We've got to row. We've got to pull. We've got to drink in the nourishment that only comes from the root faith like Abraham. Pray with me and we'll finish. Father God, thank you for a sobering reminder of the importance of nourishing our connection to you. Not because um, our own personal eternity is, is based on how many times we read the Bible during the week or how many, how, how many hours we spend in prayer in a month. but because nourishing our connection to the root has generational impacts in our church and our families. God, we want to be fruitful for you. Help us to not boast over disconnected branches, but understand that that was probably a branch. If we went back far enough, that, that was a person from a family who used to believe in you that family walked. May we say not on our watch. Help us nourish our connection to you. We know you will never let, let us go if we believe in you, but our connection to the root has impact. Guide us, hold us, teach us, nourish us. Oh God, in Jesus' name. Amen.